Welcome to the RVA Returners Podcast, your number one source for all things Final Fantasy TCG, sponsored by Ultimate Guard. Because I, I honestly thought about, like, having since you know Adam's gone, and, like starting every episode with like a, a pulp noir intro, which I think if you can put music to it, you should. Like that, you know, like the sad saxophone playing down the street. <laughs> Lane took a hiatus. I didn't know what I was gonna do. Opus 9 was right around the corner, and the case of Dottaluma had gone cold. I just needed one more hard-boiled detective on my side. The man who got me out of one t- a pickle or two by day. I had to go see the man. I had to go see Don Schreiber. And we could just go from there. <laughs> I'll absolutely put that with the music and everything. Right at the <laughs> Yeah, we, we definitely need that. We need that. But know what else we need, guys? We need to be back here for the next episode of the RVA Returners podcast. Guys, I'm your host, uh, Chris Adams. With me, I'm kind of thrown for a loop. This will be the first time that I can't say with me, as always, Adam Lane. Uh, now, obviously, he will be back, but we've got two excellent co-hosts with us here today. We've got Mr. John Schreiner and hey, we've got everybody. Mr. Curtis Kang. Guys, say hi there. Hi. Hello, hello. Yeah, so uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, we've got Opus 9 pre-release this weekend. Um, you know, everybody's kind of gotten to go to a couple. Everybody's opened some packs. They've kind of got a feel of, you know, what we think the sealed environment's going to be like. Uh, we're, you know, we got LQs coming up. we got events right around the corner. Um, but you know what we're also going to wave by to today, guys? We're going to just kind of wave by to Opus 8. We're driving off on two wheels. We've got Cult of Personality blaring on the radio. And we're just peeling off on two wheels saying bye to Opus 8. But farewell. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I I don't know if I'm sad to see it go, but I kind of am because like I, I guess I really didn't play too terribly much during Opus Eight. But I mean, I don't know. It seemed it seemed like it got kind of stale coming down the home stretch. What did you guys think? Um, well, uh, I honestly wasn't as bummed out as you and Adam were. Um, I was actually pretty fun with the whole format. Hmm. Yeah, I think that yeah, things nope. were like kind of evolving over time, and while there were definitely some cards that stuck around for the whole format, that, and then they're still not gone that we will talk about. Um, I think oh, that absolutely. we did see a lot of changes, even at the Virginia Crystal Cup. I mean, let's look at those finals. I don't think that's what people would have thought. Um, at least those versions of those decks coming in for that week. So I, I think that you know oh. things are fresh as long as people are determined to keep them fresh. And there was definitely a a, a little bit of a time in the middle of the opus era where it seems like hope was lost but people Indeed. people definitely started you know experimenting a little more and kind of opening it back up Indeed, and we'll we'll dive more into that. We'll definitely, you know, kind of talk about, you know, a lot of, you know, what happened from start to finish in opus 8. But John Curtis, you know where we like to go. I mean, I know you're not here every week, but you know that it's it it's like clockwork. There's a place we like to it's a very informative place. It's a place where you can get all the goings-ons in the uh, Final Fantasy TCG community. Do you have any clue where that might be? Is it the news? All right, so first up, Opus 9 pre-release this weekend. Uh, cards are in hands. Um, I got to play in my one pre-release today. Um, I had a good time. Um, now, here's the rub. I didn't 
play in the pre-release. I just opened my packs and watched all you suckers play in. <laughs> but so what did you guys think um, overall? Like, go ahead and, uh, you know, John, we'll go to John, then we'll go to Curtis. Just tell me about, you know, what your kits were like as far as, you know, compared to the past is like how many legendaries were you getting? Were full arts a thing? Um, I noticed in some communities they're getting the, the box topper nail in theirs, you know, things like that. Wait, did wait? Is that real? I'm sorry to to cut, but I hadn't heard that. Is that like actually happening again somehow? It's been. It, I don't think it's happened really here domestically. I think it's just you in Japan. But oh no, oh no, poor Square yeah. Enix can't catch a break. We've we've issued mm-hmm. two free box toppers in a row. Um, yeah, I didn't hear anything about that. Obviously, we didn't get any box toppers. Um, it seemed like they're so. We had very different experiences. I did two pre-releases. On the first day, there were like two or three, you know, full arts pulled, and and here and there, people were getting, you know, just kind of a normal mix of foil legends. I usually have really bad pre-release luck. Uh, I've gotten no legends multiple times in pre-releases. Ouch. So uh, I got a foil Maya, and I was really happy because it's a legend that I'm really excited for. Uh, she she feels pretty good. Um, but then on my second day. We had full arts popping off like crazy. Like I, I don't know. We don't really know the rate on these yet, but um, they feel like really, you know, like one a box kind of rare. And uh, I pulled two <laughs> full arts in one kit. I don't know how that happened, but uh, so yeah. I got I got the Hurdy and the Mo or not the uh, Chocobo, Hurdy and Chocobo. So they could have been you know a little crazier, but um, I guess that's uh that's pretty irregular. But for the most part, um. Yeah, we probably had like five or six of the flowers open both days in you know like 12 or 14 people um i wish i had been like you and not played and just watched people because i don't know how much i liked playing sealed i, I mean sealed is always a little rough but um i just got blown out by everybody who got chaos <laughs> like a big 9k i couldn't kill uh, but right. i had a good time yeah I, I had a very difficult time killing 9ks with anything other than how about you curtis tricks. Yeah, I'll do. Yeah, it's all combat in this set. How about you, Curtis? Yeah. So, I guess I pulled pretty decently. Um, my first kit wasn't like anything too stellar. I think the only real legend card I got was a uh, foil, um, Radia. Uh, no, not Radia. Uh, the one that plays a summon. That's uh, Radia. Yeah. Oh, is it Radia? Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Earth yeah. legend. Yeah, it's Radia. Yeah, yeah. So I got her, and then I got a couple other cards. I won that pre-release. Uh, but the one I did today, I got like three legends or something like that. Um, I got the ice dragon guy, and I got nice. uh, Maya, and then I got uh, oh yeah, I got Rosa as well. So that one was a pretty decent pull. I didn't get any full arts though, so kind of wish I had you know the big money cards. But overall, with this whole set. I'm not really too impressed, and Sealed seems more cancerous than usual. Uh, it's just hard to kill anything, in my opinion, right now. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of a good segue, right? Because that's one of my big takeaways from watching today. It's like, yeah, granted, it's six packs, and you know, even if you take away the simplified rules, you just can't, if you get a big body on the, gra- on the, on the board, if you can't kill it inside of combat, combat, you're not killing it. You're just not. Only lightning can, or like Araman yeah. is a weird. He's like a weirdly clutch piece of removal because there's nothing else that does what he does in the set. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, that was uh, the Armin is how I got blown out. Like, literally, I had Chaos played against me three times for all three mm -hmm. colors by different people. And every time it hit me with all three things, like, it killed something five careless. It made me discard a card, and it killed my monster. <laughs> so That's wild, right? Because, like, one of the best pieces of removal is Emperor Gestal. And it's, like, tough. And, like, because a lot, and, like, all this good removal, it's all heroic. So, like, you've got to get, like, your H's, your bombs have to be replaced with removal, or you have to get a mix of the two, especially with, like, Gen Con. You yeah. know, again, I don't play that much limited, but I just feel like that this limited, it's, while it's not as bad as Opus 5, because that was bad, but, like, the, 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 like, the, the quality of the body don't really just match to the ways to get rid of them. Because like you said, if you get a chaos and that thing sticks and you know, it's easy to get all this three color stuff off because the, uh, the two color Moogle backups, those are really good for like, those, I think those are really good limited cards as well as I think they will be really good constructed cards. but it's so easy and limited to get these three color ability off. Well, sealed, off. sealed, especially like sealed is a little bit yeah. skewed in that sense because everybody has like five different color backups down because you can pay whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah, so that was just like it was extra bad for the uh the mm -hmm. ice guy from fourteen or like Varus mm -hmm. or whatever. His him and yeah. uh, the other card were just like every single time they hit all the triggers. And if you if you get a chaos or if you get a if you get a nail, oh in, unless unless your opponent has a go go, which we saw some really silly stuff with somebody playing a nail and the other person having go go on the board and they just were like, Well, I'll kill all your stuff. Kill all your stuff. <laughs> oh, no. That's so gross. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Gogo's a really good limited card. But, you know, with that being said, guys, if y'all were playing at Gen Con in the sealed event, uh, I don't know if you are, I'm just doing the constructed event. Or, John, I know you're going to Arizona, which will be Opus 9 draft. Yeah. What are your thoughts on going into the, the you know, that format? Um, it feels pretty rough, right? So let's talk about, um, we were really worried when this, when the draft bomb hit, right? Opus 8 wasn't out yet. And we were bugging out. People were freaking out. A draft is going to be, it's going to feel bad. Draft in Opus 6 and Opus 7 didn't feel so good. But then when Opus 8 came out, I feel like even a lot of people who were upset about it were like, hey, you know what? Now that I got my hands on it, they're right. It's not so bad. Um, they made sure to put, I mean, we've got how many EX burst summon removal pieces? There's so much spot removal. They put all of these reprints of a lot of staples into the set and it felt like they were there like well there's no rotation the only reason they would reprint these staples is for like draft purposes right for like a limited and sealed purpose so now here we get a set with <laughs> literally no reprints in it at all and nothing that feels meant like literally not a single card feels like they put it in there just to help us out um for a limited so it uh it feels less consistent for like all the colors it feels like there's some packages like the Final Fantasy VIII stuff, which only goes across ice and lightning. That's like, yeah, you just want to be doing that. Like, and those are really closed synergies. And what I mean by that is they, like, some of the cards are heroes or, or hard to get together. And, like, you have to be picking those exact cards out of both of those colors. It's really easy for somebody to mess that up. I know there's not a ton of counter drafting, but even if somebody else takes ice or lightning for any reason, like, you need that exact combo. We saw that with fire ice right. a lot. Like, people would just try to pick Fire Ice no matter what, and it kind of messes up a lot of stuff. Yeah, and Curtis, what, what are your thoughts on that? How do you feel if you were going into one of these events or, you know, 
you're doing the Gen Con sealed or Arizona draft and you're sitting across with these cards, how, how would you feel this is? Yeah. So overall draft in itself, um, I'm, I'm pretty okay with it. Uh, you know, the whole idea behind it, especially during like the RVA crystal cup, like draft wasn't anything that like intimidated me or bothered me, but going into Opus nine, I'm not sure if I'm going to feel the same way just because for this set, like John was saying, you know, a lot of synergies are pretty category dependent. And um, a lot of the synergies are just basically kind of pre-made into the set. Like if you want to play FFA, then it's kind of just like Ice Lightning, and then everything will work out. And another thing is like all the Type Zero stuff, they're all like Fire Wind. So there's like removal technically for a lot of different options, but it's only possible if you're playing you know, either one of those categories or, like, you kind of build more of a tribal deck, which is probably going to be much harder to do in draft. Um, so I'm not really sure going into, like, Gen Con whether or not, like, I actually want to be playing in a sealed event, to be honest, uh, just because of that. Like, it just feels like a lot of the deck synergies are already, like, pre-mapped. No, that makes perfect sense. And I'm thinking no, about it and like, limited. I'm thinking about, okay, so if you have somebody's taking... Firewind Cadets. Because like you said, these are actually... It's not like some other sets where there's a couple pieces of different colors. Like, these are actually dual element only synergies. We have Headhunters, which is Fire Earth. We have Final Fantasy XIV, like Generals, which is Lightning Fire. There's Firewind Cadets, and then Lightning Ice 8, right? And you imagine if everybody's drafting those exact colors because they don't have these, like, summons that they fight over, that they kind of get their pieces, and these tribal things will exist, but... What's weird is think about like everybody was pulling all of the summons, like the EX burst, like the Garudas and the Shivas and the Ramos and the things that just were better if you had colors. Like these were excellent draft summons. And every summon in this set is like a combat trick or a cantrip. And it feels yeah. really, really strange in draft. Like a lot of the like summons said, are, are kind of dead. Consistent, like the only consistent, legit piece of you can't get around it removal is on like the two backups like seek and emperor gestalt and uh i mean so there's the uh, bahama zero but it's a hero mm -hmm. but there is a so summon that lightning gets yeah so it's like lightning lightning and dark <laughs> have break yep, and zalera zalera is a heroic as well oh that's true zalera is is uh is also a heroic though yeah i mean i only saw like one zalera all day today I haven't pulled any in all the pre-release kits I bought, which are three. Yeah, I don't have any in three kits, but I, I mean, I saw one. Like, I only saw one person with one. So sure. that's the trouble with these, like, hero slot summons is, like, <laughs> it, it ends up being really weird in Limited. We'll have to see. I honestly haven't drafted it yet. I'm curious to hear from people who are drafting it. Uh, I'll get mm -hmm. a chance to draft it this weekend. But maybe my opinion will change. I mean, of course, uh, we're... Wrong about a lot of things, right about a lot of things at the beginning of a new set. Um, but the thing that stands out to me is that Opus 8, right away, I was like, hey, this does feel good. They were right. We should give this a chance. And my first impression here is the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And that's kind of how I feel about it. But, you know, the set releases this weekend coming up, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So sets up this weekend, I'm probably going to buy just one box, and I may look to draft it with everybody, but obviously keep the cards from the box just so I can see what it feels like. Um, but speaking of this weekend, the set will be out, and Dottaluma will be banned. 
But for anybody going to any LQs or any official events this weekend, you're kind of in this really weird limbo where Opus 9 isn't legal yet, but Dataluma's out of here. Yeah. So <clears throat> it feels Shadow bad, right? Like, you know, it, and it sucks because there's two LQs this weekend in like two really great stores. There's one at a, uh, up in Northern Virginia at Muhammad's store at um, Island Game. And then there's one at Hunter Nance's store down in Raleigh at Game Theory. <clears throat> And what it, it sucks because I have zero desire to play in any of them. Just because, like, I don't want to play Opus 8. Opus 9's out. And it, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, I would much rather there be an event. Like, if you're going to do an event on release weekend, make the set legal. Let people, let the Wild West have You know, other card games do it. And I, I don't want to ever beat the dead horse, the magic, this game comparison. But more times than not, there's a, there's a Star City open on the weekend of a new set release. Because it lets people, like, because you see the set two weeks in advance. Yes, I get it. It could be hard to get the cards for that weekend. But then that gives you the option to play something stable and that you all know. But what if you want to bring a deck with three Ultros in it? Or you, want, or you have the cards. You've got the stuff on Friday night. You open your box. You built decks. You test it. Boom. You go in Saturday. You're ready to roll. Like, that's what I would have. But what do you guys think about that, having this lull in between? Does um does Magic, can you buy a box at pre-release time or no? You have to wait? Because I know uh, it at depends. the store, a lot of I times they do in. release stuff on the pre-release. Yeah, so uh, I was just going to say, at our stores, I see whenever Magic comes in, it's like they have tons and tons of boxes already on pre-release day. But for mm -hmm. Final Fantasy, our boxes aren't there yet. So yeah, if it was legal this weekend, I would literally not. It would not be possible for me to have any Opus Nine cards besides me just pulling as many pre-release kits as I can. And we know some places didn't get pre-releases. Some people aren't fortunate to be able to buy multiple, like we are. So, um, like not just the, they're just not available. Or there's too many people going to their pre-release. Um, so I think it's weird to give these guys like their own meta. Data Luma should just be like everything should just happen at the same time. Um, or there just shouldn't be LQ scheduled for this weekend, but I know scheduling for LQs is kind of tough. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah, rough. they're it's playing rough. in the shadow meta. Like, it's kind of weird. But uh, yeah, a... I I'm curious how the players playing in it feel. I wonder if there are people who are, like, happy to get to try something without Dynaluma before it's gone, or if everybody's just frustrated about it. Well, I'm going to be one of those people playing. playing yeah, so I'm going to be going to both this weekend, and I personally don't care that Dadalone is being banned. Like the way I see it is I've never really gotten super tired of Opus 8. And you know, I've been playing a lot of Opus 8, so I'm pretty used to you know all the decks in the format right now. And this is something I already knew was coming up, so I was already kind of prepared about this whole anti data limit thing, because you know, obviously I was actually prepared for it for uh the RVA Crystal Cup, like if they banned Dataluma by that time of the event, I was going to be perfectly fine with it because, you know, I would have made my peace with it. Hmm. But now that even though it's like in this weird shadow set kind of mindset, like I personally don't care. I'm just going to see the event as like any other tournament, just where people don't really play Earthwind, to be honest. I mean, a lot of these LQs have kind of been like that as well. Um, a lot of the places that I've been playing, like some of them just don't play Earthwind for some reason, and they're just playing, like, other decks, so I just see it as any one of those events. Yeah, I mean, there's only a few players around here who play it, so it'll really just feel like you played an event and dodged it, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. That happened. So, so yeah, that's so kind of part of the ban, 
Like, sorry, sorry. Say what? <laughs> I was like, no, this kind of makes you think about the ban, though, right? Where they're like, we really want to change yeah. the landscape of the meta. And then they've banned the card without even releasing new cards. And we're like, I don't really feel like the landscape of this weekend changes at all. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that pretty says much. a lot. So the shakeup is still kept to a minimal. But yeah, but good luck to everybody playing this weekend. You know, Curtis, I know it's, uh, I have faith that this weekend you're going to come back with that Nats qual. You know, you got Ron and Colin blocking for you. So. I, I, yeah, I hopefully think I won't make second this time. So, oh jeez, I, I I I'm spirit bombing that from yeah wherever I'll be at for that because I, I want I want to make sure I want you to win and we definitely want you there at, on the national stage. But you know this is the last week of that, so we're gonna segue kind of right in right into really our main topic, and this is gonna take up the pretty much the rest of the cast, obviously because it's our main topic. Badur badur. Um, again, we're waving bye to Opus Eight. It it was it was a roller coaster. Like I think it started out really good. Uh, there was a lot of fresh ideas, as, as there always happened. And then like I felt like maybe about halfway through, like the dust kind of settled and everybody kind of dug in on what they were playing. But then like the Richmond Crystal Cup happened, and there was all kinds of goofy shit going. So it two well one of two things before we kind of start breaking it. One I think it got stagnant because people just wanted to play what was safe. If that's what you want to do, go for it. Because, you know, good decks are good decks for a reason. But then I think as it was coming down the home stretch, people kind of got tired of playing those decks. So that's when you start seeing these rain one-turn kill combo decks popping up, which we'll talk about more in a little bit. <laughs> You're, th- during the finals of the Richmond Crystal Cup, I literally felt like I was watching Opus 5 again. Because it was mono ice versus mono water. And it was mono ice with, like, orphan... I'm looking at Vane. I'm looking at two Opus 5 Scholars. I'm looking at a forward sets. I was like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> but, but with that being said, so guys, let's go ahead and talk about the evolution of the meta. John, I know you've, uh, you've culled some data here. I'm just kind of pulling through my, my figures here. Talk yeah, to me. Just, uh, hold on, let me. Uh, so we've got uh, quarterly. No, so really, um, <laughs> let, we starts off with Fire Crystal Cup, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were not sure what we were going to see. Event of Opus. Yeah, first big event of uh, not just Opus Eight, but Opus Seven was that filler set. So this was the first you know tournament that really qualified people. Um, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, and if you had been paying attention for about a week before this tournament, you would have known the word on everyone's lips: Veritas. This card yep. was not really... Uh, it was kind of under the radar. I think both of us were wrong about it coming in. I don't know, I right? dead-ass yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, it was just... Uh, I think at one point, uh, somebody made a joke to me about, like, I want them to play this so I can just use, like, more backup spots <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. Like, like, oh, yeah, I'll just break my backups. It'll be fine. Uh, no, it turns out um, Veritas and Monowater, Fanfred Shell, was super oppressive, and it ran train. Uh, the Fire Crystal Cup. Uh, we know Colin took that kind of commandingly, and then all of a sudden, three Veritas was the new normal. Yep. Every it was deck... almost... Yeah. Like, unquestionably. No, it, was, it was almost overnight at that event. Actually, it was overnight where the uh, the the price of that card just quadrupled. Like, over, like literally overnight. Yeah. It, it became, like, the single thing you wanted to open the most in uh, in a pack. I remember I was I had three Veritas because I had bought a set at the beginning and then I opened a pack and got one and uh, somebody asked me to trade and I traded two away and I said I will never need three of this card. 
And then in like three weeks, I was like, oh shit, I need a third Veritas. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, and then I think we were talking about how after a little bit of time, you didn't really need three Veritas anymore, right? Like, I don't even know that those mono water decks are all running three. I think that people have kind of come down to two. But mm-hmm. that set this kind of effect for the whole rest of the meta. I mean, and it changed, like, which cards became more relevant and everything. And there's no surprise that when we look at the major tournaments for Opus 8, the top tournament card, 50% of decks, Veritas of the Dark. So, out of top, yeah. actually top tournament cards, 150 Veritas. <laughs> 48 That's huge. Yeah. Um, we're looking at Shantoto is next at 33%. Diabolos, 30%. Zidane, 30%. So, it's pretty much these... Like Shantoto is always, always up there. Because it also yep. enables like uh, multicolor decks. So it's kind of always like the, the great unifier across a lot of different archetypes. But let's look at the top three outside of Shantoto. It's Veritas, Diabolos, Zidane. That became Opus 8 meta. Yeah. It, it, they actually did. I'm glad I'm glad you said that way because um you know early on because coming down the end of Opus Seven when you started seeing Wind Water and Mono Wind like really come into their own with the addition of the Crystal Chronicles in you know Yuri Chilinka, All Hanalim, and Malaria. Zidane all of a sudden became this this turn to time walk machine, and then Mion started showing up in the mix. So this card would just literally walk turn. And that started happening near the end of Opus 7, but like it started in Opus 8 and it never stopped. Like, like Curtis will tell you, coming down the home stretch, he was a. Uh, what was the name of your deck, Curtis? <laughs> the Power of Zidane with Ice. Yeah, on the Zidane on the rocks, just still, still just absolutely just, just super oppressive. And of course, Diabolos has been doing Diabolos things since Opus. And so, uh, I think no it's interesting surprise. that you mentioned Neon, right? So mm-hmm. here's a card where, and I think uh, actually Europe gets pretty much all the credit for this, but still, here's a card where uh, this card was, nobody touched it. It was like dead. People kind of laughed at playing this card. Some people played it here and mm-hmm. there. It definitely wasn't popular. On this mm-hmm. list, this is the third most popular backup, not including Shantoto as a backup. And the first wow. two are Yuna and Braun. Wow. Yeah. So you know I mean like that's huge. Yeah, that's remember big. back uh like at Nationals, a lot of people were asking the question which Zidane is better for CP or three CP? And for a while, mm-hmm. like a lot of people teeter between the two, but like now I think everyone can say hands down that three drop Zidane is the best. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along Opus eight, like three star well three CP Zidane just took every spot in every single wind deck, water deck. And it definitely wasn't just because of Mion, though, I think. Oh, no, like you know John what it said. was because of? Veritas. Yeah. yeah, Veritas, and then also, I think, also because of all the Phoenix uh, that all oh, yeah. the Wind Earth players started to play as well. I think that it's huge because it's like, okay, well, water doesn't care, right? Because water breaks their Vikings. Every other deck needs something that they can stack to Veritas. What are two things that every win player would happily sack to the Veritas? Mion and Zidane. So I can play more Mion's mm-hmm. and more Zidane's. And it mm-hmm. became not only, like, Zidane is a very proactive play, and it's super good if you, you know, the more you play, the better your Zidane's get. Right? 
it's just like yep. the skill ceiling on Zidane is so high. And of course, that's always a card that like, um, I think that's one of the cards where once a lot of people are playing it, it kind of is very appealing. Like you understand why it's so good. And it even makes people who don't think it's that good or maybe didn't agree it was that good still play it. And then by playing it, you will understand because the more you play it, the better you get with it. And the skill cap on the card is so high. So I think that some cards like that um, will always it's veritas is very much the same thing right you you kind of don't understand how strong it is and then you start seeing it get used and you're like i can't ignore this actually this is so value all the time and that's why those two cards i think as more decks play them they just get more popular they just get bigger and bigger and bigger until they're these monsters people all of a sudden the dane ban <laughs> we haven't heard that once before this that card's been out for a long time mm -hmm. And Dataluma Ban yeah. has been the cry of everybody for, for sets and sets and sets. And this is brand new. That's how impressive he's mm -hmm. been in this meta. Exactly. And you know, and the Ver Veritas was not the only like power card as far or like mono water Veritas wasn't the only like powerhouse deck that really just you know started to rear it, rear its ugly head. Um there the uh this set gave uh rise to Earth Ice once again. Um, with these, with new cards like Scale Toad and Garland um, and Luminous Puma and a Pooparoo, um, you started seeing this Ice Earth deck that was running like some some lists ran zero summon, some ran two or three. That was it because that entire deck ran just on the abilities on of the forwards and backups that it. Um, and that's a deck that was still extremely powerful throughout most of the meta. And Curtis, I know you played that deck a little bit more. I, I never really messed with it. Um, what can you attribute to like just the rise in power of that over the course of the? Which one? Uh, the Earth Ice with uh, you know just the Earth Ice with like two summons in it. Oh, Earth Ice. Well, that it's such a, in my opinion, it's such a complicated deck to like explain why it's good like mm -hmm. earth ice is just it's it's been here for a long time and it's mm -hmm. one of the oldest archetypes that i can remember because even back when we first met uh oh, you know earth ice was yeah one of the big decks back then and it just seems like this format's really taken you know its tra tra trajectory up there um i'm not really exactly sure why because i know sephiroth is the biggest reason why that deck is super good and as everyone knows that card is just you know really oppressive but i just think that earth ice has found a interesting formula of card uh, card economy where it's just like mm -hmm. you have one to two cards in your hand all the time and then they have a full grip all the time and then mm -hmm. they usually have backups up to five almost every game so it's like it's like a weird position as soon as you make one mistake against earth ice and you start losing your hand it's like there's almost no way to recover if the other player really knows what they're doing and especially with all the flans and all that stuff like that like you just always have card advantage nothing really pulls you back because you always have answers and it's just a very good reactive deck and i think that's probably the biggest weakness of that deck though like if they don't do anything sometimes it's hard for you to actually like start the the process and then if they're just building up backups and you're you don't have any proactive plays that you can do, you end up just kind of like forced to pitch them to you know build up backups and build up CP and things like that. But I think that's kind of like the biggest reason. It's just all this 
Sephiroths and all these card advantage tricks to basically keep your hand up while they're just losing resources. And Skelted also is probably one of the biggest things too. So Sephiroth yeah, actually, I, I want to touch on real quick because here's a card yeah. that came out in Opa Seven, right? And Yuri Chalinka were dominant right back then, and mm -hmm. Sephiroth of course was around, but Sephiroth in Opus Eight is seen more than Yuri or Chalinka, maybe even them combined right now. Honestly, right now, and. It's a $50 card all of a sudden. It's another guy who, who shot up. And I think that Sephiroth getting that big in Opus 8 is partially because one of the best ways to counter this super expensive dark guy who takes cards out is to not let them have enough cards in their hand. And it counters kind of that, like, the the mono water just wide board with the Shantoto and the Earth Ice consistently finds the Sephiroth. And I think that was rising... No, it's always been good, like Curtis says, it's always been around. But I think that that was a really popular kind of alternate path to take to just going all in on these Veritas decks. Well, right, and also too, right, like if they played a backup turn one, or they even played two backups turn one, and your your turn two play was Garland, you've, you've potentially like really, really slowed them down, especially if they're looking to hold that Veritas up and be able to play it or curve out to that third backup. Um, Garland and Scale Toad, like in the early part of the game for that deck, just create this just this amazing resource denial, and it's so crazy. Like I know some people think like that. Both of those cards are kind of polarizing, right? Because they're like when they're good, you just kind of get hate fucked out of them, right? When they're bad, you're just like these cards suck, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, and I think you know that the early game and just the early like resource denial, because like we like we were playing some games. And when my opponent saw Scale Toad and Garland, like it wasn't even a game. Like the <laughs> difference between two cards and three cards is just instrumental. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. like I think those two cards, and then then you know you kind of seal the deal with Sephiroth there, and then you just you just kind of ride that train all the way to victory. Like Curtis said, your hand is always full; theirs is not. And every time they try to get ahead, you're like, I'm gonna go ahead and Renoa the Sephiroth Sephiroth special. I'm going to minor, get this Sephiroth back, and Sephiroth special. You know, it was just, it was just really just a tough deck to get around. And like Curtis said, it is really hard to pilot. Um, and it, it's like Biff's car and back, right? Like, not everybody can start. Hmm. So, and I, and I think that as more cards come, I think that's a deck that's going to stick around for a while. That's, that's a deck that can kind of separate the chaff from. But, that's not the only ice deck that you saw a lot of in Opus 8. Thank, the, the boys were back. Old Reliable was back with a vengeance in Opus 8. And I can't be happier to see Fire Ice Final Fantasy 6 back on the radar. Not only that, but also winning a crystal. Yeah, so Fire Ice, um, it got a couple pieces that got people really excited. Um... Sabin was a card where we used to talk about how he was the best Final Fantasy VI card, or, you know, he was just, like, this insanely strong card. I mean, Locke and Celeste have always been very powerful, but um, then he, he was just, like, kind of totally fell out of those lists at, at the point where people stopped playing the fire, but we got Edgar, and we got Duncan, and that was really the push. It was the only push that it needed. It needed a Final Fantasy VI backup that was red, and it was a good turn one play because so far we just had Gestalion Empire Sid, who was not a good turn one. You know, he's a questionable but pretty inefficient turn one play. Um, and Duncan 
encourages you to play Saban and just kind of rewards you for having all those guys in the same deck. He's another forward that synergizes with the Sid Reigns and the you know Sellas abilities. We got the new Sellas that rewards you for having a bunch of these guys out, and she's a Phoenix target. I think a lot of those new six cards just kind of gave people the, the push and made that deck just a little bit tighter, a little bit neater, made those six synergies just easier to pull off. And uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> well, yeah, any, I think... Anytime... Uh, no, go ahead, Curtis. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I was like, I think even without Duncan, just having Edgar in the set made Fire Ice what it is, you know, this format. Just just having that extra two-drop backup is the biggest reason, I think, that Fire Ice is so, you know, fucking strong. Um, and then, you know, going off of, like, the turn one Sid play, like... Sure, it's not bad, because obviously you're going to search Setzer, and then you're going to play Setzer and get locked, but like you can see that coming a mile away, so they just have to kill the Setzer, and now you're just like back at ground zero. Like, well, I can't play this lock for value. I can't really do anything, um, so I guess I just have to you know, keep on building up cards, and hopefully I can play this lock and get that double discard. But like with just Edgar, like you just play that turn one, and then turn two, you play your Sid. Um, so obviously that's a bridge play, right? And then you're getting a card. And then you just play the lock next turn after, and you're just getting that instant discard. And then you can just haste it, give the other instant discard when you swing. And then just having that extra 1k boost lock being like potentially, you know, a uh, 9k with both Duke Larg out there just for 3 CP, it's, it's really dumb. And I think that's the biggest reason, in my opinion, that Fire Ice is like why it's so strong this set. Well, right. And we also saw uh, another backup that was really instrumental in that that deck and that was the setzer backup most fire iceless don't run the forward setzer anymore because the backup is so potent being able mm. to recycle the say the duncan specials the lock specials and again just fire ice for the most part these days and like it was before it's all about getting lock to just repeatedly strip that hand and the fact that he's a 9k it's like all right what do you want to lose do you want to lose the card out of your hand or do you want to lose a guy for stepping in front yep. and the new Celis, like you said, just really created these really weird turns where, like, all right, I'll swing with Celis. We'll dull that guy. And, and honestly, oh, Lise, you have no blockers now? Yeah, Lease is oh, also Lise. really strong. Yeah, Lease made all those boys big. Yeah. Yeah. 9K yeah, was a 9K lock. Yeah. And, like, Fire Ice became a deck that you had to go from, when you were playing against it, you had to put them on four and then push for game immediately. Because yeah, if you yeah. got to if you got them to five damage and they played a lease, oh, you had a hell of a mountain to climb. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, they it's, also it's had just another like, finisher. No, yeah, Laswell. Oh, oh yeah, oh, Jesus, oh, don't even get me started. I wouldn't even talk about that one, but that's oh, dude, Laswell, <laughs> insane. That Absolutely card is, um, is really really good. So you mean you mean to tell me that I get a Genesis effect? Every turn when I turn that guy sideways. And he's 8k? Every time. Well, don't mind yeah, and he's it. a 9k? <laughs> and that ping was so huge, especially in conjunction with like certain, uh, like certain, whatever summons you were running in the deck, which Did a lot rains, of times was like Phoenix Celis, or Phoenix. Glacia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like the fact that you could just like ping something for 1k. Even if it wasn't, even if you weren't, that wasn't your dull and freeze target, the fact that it was repeatable meant that you could you could get over on some things that maybe you couldn't get over before. Now, granted, it struggled with Aerith, which we'll get to. Um, 
But Laswell was just a great like mid game piece that like he could help you go from take your opponent from four to to game right. But there was another card in that deck that really kind of helped you seal the deal, and that was my man Clud, the Fire Five CP Cloud. That card was an absolute stud, and I remember that was like the first card spoiled for Opus Eight, and people some people liked it, but more people thought it was hot. Talk about being some those people were wrong. Yeah. So, like Cloud's just a card that very much like Cecil, right? In in the sense that it's the the lower the further you are, and I don't say farther behind because you could be at six damage and feel like you're in complete control of the game. But sometimes when you're at like five or six damage and you slam that guy on the table, your opponent can't get around it. Yeah. Because if they try to kill it. You're going to bring it back. And usually when you pay mill the 10 to bring it back, you probably just win the game on spot. Yeah, and once you're at, like, five or six damage, this guy is crazy to play. <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. imagine you play that guy, and then you have Lease on the table. You've got a 5CP 11K that can just bring himself back and then just nuke something. Nuke an 8K. Pop. But also, too, you know, not, not to be outdone, there was another deck that really uh, got that got better. That didn't need stuff, but it got better. Let's talk about mono wind. Mono wind, and we can talk about wind variants. We can we can kind of lump wind water into this as well. So, John, on your stats, what wind cards outside of Diabolos and Zidane? So the top wind cards are, of course, you know Yuri Chalinka and Alambar Teleria Vada. Right, this is the mm-hmm. same stuff from Opus Seven, but. The next card, the next two cards were a huge deal. North mm-hmm. Stalin and Fina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Fina was the bell, kind of just the, the bell of the ball for Wind Opus 8. Fina, Fina was definitely the straw that stirred the drink in a lot of these decks because you created like, you, you gave decks a board wipe that did Being able to play this thing you know, with the kicker, no less. So you, you could play this thing essentially for free, hit their board for five, then activate everything. Then you play Chalinka and do 2K to every, or you played... Um, Fina Valfour, easy. Valifor, yeah. or something. Depending on the list, you would play Valifor, or you would do something that could just literally kill the rest of their board, no problem. Bodies on the board, and then you just for just for good measure, you play Zidane and strip the card out of their hand that they were going to play to try to. Yeah, and I mean, even for Wind Water in general, Fina, just what these decks needed, right? Another efficient way to activate all of their characters on a huge body, like uh, all right, Riku Mill, <laughs> you know, like these things didn't need another mm-hmm. activation. Anahalem Yuri ability, I mean, we've seen Fina just she synergizes in every way with that deck. And then Norstalin, of course, is searches for the backups you're already playing. <laughs> he searches for Alaria and Anahalem and Waltrill, which came out in the set, which gives Wind some filtering. And it's just like, man, that guy in general, the FFCC package, is just such a really neat, efficient package. It stretches all the way across the relevant forwards, relevant strong backups, and it complements everything that the Wind and Wind Water decks were already doing. So it's no surprise that this deck was a big deal and honestly probably won't change much in Opus 9. No. And and also too, Curtis, and I know you can talk about this a little bit, 
Nostalin didn't just get you win cards either. Yep. Like, yeah, he, he could Stalin. get you in ice. Yeah, it gets you into ice, and if you want to be spicy, you could also play like FFCC uh, Wind Earth because it can get you uh, Lael as well. Like, get you Meath if you want to go fire. It gets you Meath exactly. Like, it it just gives you such an access to all these amazing backups, and all of them are like backups you want to see early. So it just helps you set up. And like speaking on like just like Mono Wind. Like, if you play Norshland, like, you'll have five backups within, like, two or three turns. Like, no questions asked. It's really annoying, but at the same time, it's, it's extremely efficient. Absolutely. I don't think there's a single color that Norshland can't get. I don't think Lightning. Yeah, Lightning. Maybe, yeah. Is Lightning the only one? Yeah, because Argy is in season right now. Argy's something. Yeah. Legend or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's is, yeah, is, Ar- is Argy Legends, or is that Crystal Crown? That's Legend. It's Legend, yeah. It's so legend. I think it's the only one is Lightning. But, like, I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, right. It's yeah. one color. Yeah. It's so it's so wild. Like, that, that, that was a card that, you know, I think upon first glance when everybody saw it, they were like, this card's absolutely nuts. And it definitely had an impact on the meta. Um, now, not every Wind Water deck played it, but some variations did. Like, like the more standard Unity ones did. Um... But like the classic, you know, YRP FFCC list didn't necessarily because you were still trying to get Yuna and Riku on. Yeah, to really get that the YRP value train. The number one addition um, to Wind Water the set was Fina, hands down. There were yeah, no other Opus Eight cards that made the top cards for the Wind Water list here. And and to kind of jump ahead, you know what cards from Opus Nine are going into Wind Water? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Forum. <laughs> that deck does not need anything. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. Forum, so they can just get um, more that, Balfours. Yeah, pretty much. Like the, the deck's good, and the deck's not going anywhere anytime soon. Now, to uh, much to its chagrin, it still is a difficult deck. There, that's a deck where if you sequence wrong, your turn is just over. That's yeah. just kind. Of... Um. Now, you know, John. I know there was. You know, we we were seeing a lot of these decks. Um, now, as far as newcomers to the table. There was one, like, right off the bat, there was a new archetype. Well, I don't want to say a new archetype, but a new deck within an old archetype that just kind of popped up because it got the support in the form of a little 1CP 2K that just blasts people out of their <laughs> sh- Yeah. So Firewater. I'm talking about Firewater, Final Fantasy. John, let's talk about it. So... Firewater and Final Fantasy IX in general got a lot of support this set. In fact, it got so much support this set that in an unplayable element combination in draft Firewater, um, if you get the Final Fantasy IX pieces, you might have one of the strongest decks at the table. Um, mm-hmm. They got Freya, they, who is great for a whole bunch of reasons, and a bunch of different decks. Water Dragoon. Like, come on, this, this, a lot of people very happy about this card. They got the Steiner, they got the new Garnet Forward, they got the Zidane Legend, which definitely had something to do with this deck, but the number one, like you said, was Vivi. This guy, he he packs a crazy punch for 1CP. I don't know that you can get this much value out of 1CP anywhere else in, in this game. Uh, when this guy hits, he hits. He, I think he kind of, because for a long time there, the one CP snow was like the one CP forward of choice for like, oh, this, this card is insanely good. Now a card like, and what's great about a card like 
is he was a really good answer to this Veritas because you could bring him in, you know, off of a off of a baby Phoenix, kill Veritas, and then just sack him to Veritas's exit. Mm-hmm. So like he he was so efficient for what he cost, and the way that deck was built, four of your five backups are always going to be FF nine, and they're so great backups. You're, like you're not sacrificing yeah, anything solid. for this synergy. So for the cost of one CP, you're going to nuke something for 7K unless they can destroy two of your backups or Viviana backup on the turn. So, yeah, it was, it was really a good. good, efficient deck. It has, like, synergies with the Final Fantasy IX package allow you to take advantage of things like Gila Viking package and all of these other great mono-water draw engines. And then you get to use Baby Phoenix to probably, like, his best potential to set. Um, it was a really fun deck too. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun to play. Unfortunately, I think it uh, not a ton of people were playing it. Like it, it was definitely around. It was definitely a deck. But I think maybe if it got a little more uh, like experiment, just like group think, that deck could have really mm-hmm. become something. I think Mel Gemini is an underutilized uh, part of that deck. That's actually terrifying when somebody plays it against. No, absolutely, Curtis. What are your thoughts on the FF Nine deck? Yeah, that deck was uh, pretty annoying to play against. Like, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the deck early. I just thought the deck was kind of just weenies. And I agree. It's definitely not my style, and I felt like, okay, I just board wipe it once and I win. But that's not the case. Um, like, I was playing against uh, you during that LCQ, well, LQ, uh, and then Chris was playing the Firewater thing, and I was just like, all right, Fina clear. And then I still lose the game because he just has a bajillion forwards afterwards, and it's just like, this is dumb. So that deck is super strong, super annoying, and it's surprising that it hasn't performed better than I thought it would have. But uh, it's definitely a good deck, and uh, it's probably going to stick around. I don't imagine it going anywhere. It's also a great deck to get people in the game. It's actually the deck that I would use to, if people were curious about playing the game, I would direct them right to that because, A, it, the, the most expensive card in the deck is Cloud of Darkness, which, you know, that's fine, but like for you, could, the rest of the deck, outside of the three, Fe- the three big phoenixes, the two cloud of darknesses, you can get the rest of the deck for twenty, because it's all just commons, rares, and like cheap heroics. Um, like the one one copy of cloud of darkness costs more than the rest. Hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and that's one if they're on a budget, they can go ahead and go without them until they you know get the you know get the money for the cards, because while Cloud of Darkness was an important piece of the deck, you could definitely win without it. Yeah. It's not super. Yeah, it's just a good benefit if you're playing, like, this wide weenie deck. Speaking of that, so we were talking about this the other day. An Opus 7, like, Opus 6, one of the biggest things that you saw was Ice Water, Layla Vikings. You kind of just saw this go-wide weenie deck. Opus 7, when, like, Valifor kind of became really popular, though, like... Like Layla Viking just kind of disappeared for the most part. And then in Opus 8, they just came back. They said, We don't give a shit if you're playing Valifor. We're still playing these cards. We love this draw in. Now, do you think that's still gonna hold sway going into Opus 9? So I think what happened was we were just getting comfortable with not playing Layla and Viking. Like Porum gets me enough cards. I think we were all starting mm-hmm. to be in a place like I certainly had cut six slots to put in three Porum. Like, just quality. I always loved Porum anyway. It just seemed like I freed up a lot of spots. Then Veritas came out. 
And the best answer to Veritas was <laughs> sacking a Viking that drew me a card. So right yes. back in, go Layla and Viking. And I think that uh, that the what it is is it's it's six cards that we really want to talk ourselves out of having to play, but they are that good. Yeah. And so it's I just... think they're gonna stick around. I think they have to stick around. I, I don't think they're ever bad. Yeah. No, I agree with that a hundred percent. Now, you know, obviously the, the decks that kind of really made a splash throughout most of the meta. Now we're gonna we're starting to let's just talk before we start to wind down, let's talk about some of the fringe I mean when I say wind down, I'm talking about like just the way that the evolution of the meta. Yeah. We saw a few like one offs that popped up at um for a while in the beginning you were seeing Mono Earth, like Mono Earth Final Fantasy V. Because we got that full package with, you know, with Gladio. But then, and they were running three Veritases, and some lists in Japan were running Magic Pop. <laughs> and, then, and then that deck just kind of disappeared. Like, Mono Earth just disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, no, yeah, there it is. It, they just, it, I don't know if that was just, you know, the nature of the, just the meta evolving and Mono Earth just being a little bit slow, or them just not being able to handle a Veritas meta what I thought it was that you know typically mono worth you play like a forward you play you kind of do like the play a backup play a forward play a backup play a forward and you just couldn't do that because of a card like Look. Veritas and outside of Yang and or speak oh okay speaking of brought this up <laughs> remember the big doofy Earth deck that was just like all forwards with Vanille Yang Ursula yeah Veritas single handedly said that deck no longer exists. <laughs> he literally just took the broom and just swept it under the rug like that that you're not playing that deck anymore guess what you're not playing that deck yeah he makes Golbez the only viable kind of oh, oops all forwards deck pretty much yeah <laughs> and, like, dude dude I don't know like so earth just kind of dis wind was still there but earth wind was kind of weird look mono earth took a nap Oh, big time. Took a nap, but, but it's back. It's back. It's coming back. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely back. But one of the things you also saw in Opus 8 was Earthwind kind of come and go. Um, and it was mostly because I was trying to really just showcase the power of the Final Fantasy eleven, uh, the eleven backup, right? So, like, I know J uh, JFB played a list. He played a Warrior of Darkness deck using... 11 in and just showing how you could play any forward any set of forwards with those backups have a good time at a tournament yeah so i don't know like you, you saw a lot of with an earth wind and then like once the dotaluma ban happened you started seeing it a little bit uh but not nearly as much now you know maybe some guys capitalized on that because that's what sam tool won uh kansas we played earth wind uh, Kyle Peters had a lot of success with Earthwind pretty much till the end of Opus 8. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think now that deck's really going to go back to the drawing board and it's going to be a very different deck not that Dottaloo in the mix anymore. <clears throat> but I think you're still going to see the Star Sybil, the Simulafina, the Camelot, the Apuparu. You're going to see that backup package. It's not going, and it's still extreme. Yeah. Now, as we again now, so to finish off, like just kind of the meta for Opus Eight, let's let's go. Let's come to the Lightning Crystal. We saw 
again, back to the finals, we're this mono ice deck you started kind of seeing, uh, you started seeing like Chris Lopez play and the guys out in Cody, the guys out in Kansas City. It's running, you know, especially, I guess this kind of popped up because Dottaluma was gone. Now you're starting to see ice decks with snowbacks. They're playing three orphans. Because now, like, the, the gates are open to really just kind of target who doesn't yeah. care. So, you know, we, we watched, you know, ice. And again, obviously, Muhammad on mono water. That's his color. And mono water still kind of stayed as a major player throughout entire uh, meta. I think it only, the only match it really struggles against, and I think it still does, is earth ice. Because water needs cards in hand to really be effective. And that deck is just so good at removing those resources. The only way Ice Earth loses to Mono Water is if Ice Earth breaks, or the player just just doesn't get the right sequence. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of the in the in the Tampa U episode. Wait, Chris, hold up. Hold we up, were hold talking up. about Warrior of Light and how we didn't think there was going to be a one turn kill deck that that could come from a card. It and we said it would take time, and boy, did it! It took time. It took the last real big event of Opus 8 to see this uh, this Warrior of Light spit 7 to 8 forwards out, play Rain Special it, and it's consistent. That's the weird thing. Um, it's a combo deck, so it loses to what most combo decks lose to, and that's any sort of early disruption. So it's a real spiky. But the guy playing it, Paul Pham, actually bubbled both days, so he didn't have a bad day. And we and you can go back and watch his match against Amanda on stream. If he sees a second copy of Rain, he just wins on the spot. And I can see that's probably what happened. So I think the meta was kind of starting to get in a really weird place coming down the stretch. But just in time, as, as most of them do, but now just in time for a whole new set of cards entered into in game. Right? Are you guys there? Yeah, sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry, that's okay. So make sure I didn't make sure I lose you. I thought I was just just a rambling on. <laughs> no, it's okay. So at one point, uh, I did like lose you for a second, but then you came back and you were just like in this full rant about light rain, and it was great. So I didn't. I, I said like hold up, but you didn't hear me, and you kept going. So it's fine. Oh, <laughs> it's all right. So I, I can cut just the the part where you cut out for a second, and then uh, oh, that's we can fine. Cut back in here. But, but this you part want to stays talk in. About that this again. part definitely stays in. All right, okay, that's fine. This part's gas. This stays in. You got it. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, now we're, we're kind of in, like, the way the meta kind of evolved on Light Rain. So now let's talk about studs versus duds. You know, some of them we, we've kind of talked about. Um, do you think, obviously, Veritas was an absolute stud, and a lot of us were completely wrong. About yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely had it wrong on him. Yeah, I was definitely wrong. And I think as far as, you know, I don't want to use the word dud, but I I think Light Rain never really got his due. Yeah, you know what? Um, people yeah, found out how easy it was to remove, like, a 3-drop 7K, and then it kind of took the wind out of some people's sails, I think, and then Veritas just being so popular and such a big deal. Like, it meant you had yeah. to say, I don't want to play Veritas, and, and that just felt wrong, especially, like, because of what people were saying. I mean, we're looking at him... 50%. This is the number of popularity. 50% of the top decks. So it's like, I think that Rain, like you said, kind of at the very end, we saw this deck where Rain just made the whole strategy. An OTK, I've not seen, you know, Golbez isn't even like a true OTK combo deck. And um, I think, like you said, he didn't really get his chance. And if people play with it more, this is a card that 
it unlocks a lot of things and it's uh it goes anywhere so mm -hmm. and also too right like when you know not only to get terrain you had to say i don't want to play veritas but then you also had to say yeah i don't really want to play so he was kind of in on the oh don't want to play yuri yeah lighter dark card well they had light zidane if you were playing the final fantasy yeah which that card you're not playing any lighter dark cards other than two maybe even three of them yeah then also i think with rain uh the biggest problem was aside from the warrior light deck because uh, i think that's mm -hmm. the secret formula that people weren't putting in but like Without thinking about that, when you think about rain, the best decks that usually goes into is like lightning water or anything that mm -hmm. kind of has like a night focus. So mm -hmm. automatically, he was kind of pigeonholed into like a very niche spot in an already mm -hmm. niche deck. So that's probably one of the biggest reasons why we didn't see rain too much, just because, you know, I mean, I think in our meta, we saw rain a lot because, you know, Johnny plays uh, water lightning, Ben plays water lightning. So, like, I've been seeing rain. Rain being played in those decks, but that's pretty much the only decks that I've ever seen him being used in, just because of him being a knight. Uh, yeah. So I think yeah. that's one reason why you haven't really seen him. Yeah, I mean, I only really saw it played in uh, our friend Alex had a, the Shrinky Dinks deck. Yeah, that he actually uh, he showed up to that winner box in the middle of Opus Eight, or actually kind of towards the beginning, right? And he uh, he just swept Swiss with yeah. uh, with a Lightning Water Rain deck. And rain was just popping off like every round, but then uh, he lost to Mono Wind because <laughs> Mono Wind is very consistent. So you know he misses that like combo or you know getting rain set up because that is the thing. Rain is a card you kind of have to set up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you have to drop the forward. You have to play. You have to have the second copy for the S. And if he dies before combat, you just look stupid. Meanwhile, Veritas is just like, I'm yeah, here. And he's like, I'm just gonna put myself right here. He comes in into the room like a, like Kramer comes in in Seinfeld episode like like the foot like halfway extended yeah just like like he's just like already in the room as soon as he opens the door he's he's already doing something he didn't knock pretty much yeah pretty much Ra Rain's you wake like up knocking. he's making your breakfast yeah Rain's just like can I come in <laughs> uh, nope not not with them shoes but overall like I mean Opus Eight was fine like there there it, it was it was a lot of highs a lot of lows and it did get a little stale in my opinion because I I think because you kept seeing cards like Veritas you kept seeing Zidane Zidane was just in a place where it could just again like time walk you just lose two in this game you lose a turn honestly Chris I think I think Zidane is the one that burns you out the most like you look so sad after like. Getting Zidane well, that one night twice. you and I were playing, we were—I think we were playing locals, and then uh, like <laughs> I, I and also like I had I had the perfect curve in my hand. I'm like, all right, cool, this is fine. This is you play your turn one back up, I play mine, and I'm just like, and you're just like Zidane, and I'm like, well, I'm fucked. <laughs> I thought then fair was fair. Do it again. <laughs> then the I think you turn. followed up with Sephiroth on the next turn. Like I was literally out of the game before the game. Start. Yeah, honestly, I think if that night never took place and we didn't play those those games that night, I think you would have been okay with Opus Eight. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, I, I think you I, broke I kind him. Of, uh, I hit. The, I, hit I think the I broke him at that night. point. I was like, this just isn't fun. This just really stopped being fun for. Me. And like, and even like, even I play decks was a deck. Like, I love Wind Water. Like Wind Water YRP was one of my favorite decks to play in Opus Eight. Like I actually played it quite a bit. Um, like the only decks I really played during Opus Eight were. Windwater. I played Fire Ice for a little bit. Then I played the uh, Final Fantasy IX deck for pretty the majority. 
and I had a little bit of wind, uh, wind earth, but just because I wanted to try that deck, just as you guys know, mm -hmm. yeah, hey, it's, gone. it's, it's, uh, it's fun, dude. That Illumina did the thing. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, so I, I think there was, you know, Opus 8 did have a, a lot of really neat stuff. It definitely, you know, showcased some cards that were older. We got to see, you know, we got to see some old friends come back in the form of Final Fantasy VI. Um, we got to wave by to a card that's just been a consummate staple since Opus 4. You know, we got to just see the power of card draw. We got to see the power of resource denial. Uh, we got to see the power of repeatable resource denial. Um, <laughs> not just with Zidane, but also with Sephiroth. The special is just stupid, and this it was really brought meta. Yeah. Um, and then we just got to see just, you know, just sometimes just big, doofy bodies can just get you there on a card like this. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, it, it was definitely, it, it definitely changed a lot as we went on, and I think that that's something that's really interesting about this game is how players respond almost immediately to what's currently happening at tournaments, and uh, I mean, we just walked through each of those Crystal Cups and kind of how all these decks just were more mm -hmm. and more prominent after each one because of things that changed and things that people saw, and I think that I'm really excited to see the same thing happen throughout Opus Nine. It's yeah. uh, it's got and, a and lot it of kind of hidden, changed, just like small things that are really going to make big changes. I think to what we play and how we play it. Yeah, I, I was definitely worried about Opus Nine being more of the same. Um, I definitely don't think it is. Um, I think we're going to see. We're going to see a new deck ar archetype. I think cadets are very, very real in this set. Um, I think you're going to see, you know, you're going to see car like old archetypes try new things. Um, obviously, Earthwind is the big one there. Like they, they've got, they've got a huge void to fill. Uh, Mono Water has a, some new toys. Like I, I know, don't like I tease said, the octopus, playing. kids, dude. I <laughs> seafood soup, baby. <laughs> like, like I said, I've been playing Fasoya with uh, Ultros in it. It's actually a lot of fun really fun card um is it optimal i don't know yet but it's actually a lot of fun um mono ice is you know mono ice is a deck is, is a, or is a, a color just going to kind of have multiple builds i mean you're going to you see this new laguna this new vein uh the azure dragon uh let's see soryu like there's all kinds of like really neat tricks um you know you've got these uh you know, the 15 package has been rounded out more you know during our set review, we kind of joked about Mono Earth Astinian, but because of the new dual color Moogle backups... Who was joking? Sky, Sky's kind of the limit in this set, to be honest with you. Glad it's kind of shaked up the way it has for Construct. Will Limited be, you know, what we think it's going to be? Time will tell. But, you know, I'm excited to move away from Opus 8. You know, we, we learned a lot. We grew as players. We laughed. We cried. We got to, you know, commentate some Crystal Cups. We grew as a team. We laughed, we cried, we played Zidane. The Opus 8. Sure. Final thoughts? Anything, any final thing to say to Opus 8? Um, um, goodbye, farewell. It was fun. Elvita Zane, goodbye. I, I, I won't miss you. Um, no, I, I, think, I think it was fine. Like I said, I got bored with it. I got burnt out by just seeing the same thing over and over and over and over over i don't hate it i'm just ready again. i'm just so ready for something new you know yeah 
I've got but, to... but also, too, but to be fair, at the end of it, you started seeing this new stuff pop up. And I think that's just, I'll end on this, or I'll end, this is my final thought. I wish sets were just a little bit further, just a little, maybe like another month. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was, I was ready for this one. It's always a little weird when uh, we've only got like one Crystal Cup left in this new yeah. meta. And that is maybe a reason that I, I would kind of want it a little spaced differently, but mm-hmm. I I think it was time. I'm, I'm kind of ready. That's fair. But, I, I mean, mean you know I'm excited. I, I finally got my octopus, so I'm good. That's right. Finally got my octopus. And, but had your eyes five, on the prize. Five sets later, I got the card I wanted. There it is. He's a legend, though. So, you know, hey. Yeah. That's cool. Well, guys, with that being said, I'm ready to sign off. This was fun. I, I love, you know, talking about previous sets and, you know, just kind of, you know, looking towards the future while remembering what has just transpired. Um, you know, next week we'll kind of talk about Opus 9 predictions. We'll talk about, you know, what decks we think are going to be, you know, legit, um, what new strategies are going to pop up. But with, uh, with that being said, I'm done. It's time to eat. Get my bib. Delicious morsels. Oh, get, get my bib. Going to have some octopus. Can't, can't wait. Till next time, guys. See ya. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening once again to the RVA Returners podcast. If you like this content and you want to hear more, check us out on YouTube at RVA Returners. And make sure you follow us on SoundCloud and check us out on Google Play and iTunes. Bye.